Welcome to the EFC Podcast. My name is Karen Stiller. Today we have Dr. Russ Parker with us from the UK. He is an author and healing and reconciliation expert. Russ has ministered in some of the world's toughest spots, including Northern Ireland, Burundi, Rwanda, leading, listening, and forgiveness work. He is director of To Restore, a ministry that helps churches resolve and heal legacies of unhealed stories and move forward. Welcome, Russ. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I'd like to start by asking you, what is a wounded church? A wounded church for me is a church that has issues that have assumed a life of their own, a power and an influence of their own, and which seems to shape the church no matter what the uniqueness of the individuals who are in there. It's a kind of impedance and prevention from the church from actually being the church it wanted to be. Although the language may sound graphic, because not all churches are this seriously bad, but it's rather like having a patient who's got um, a, a cancer, and no amount of conversation is going to remove it. We need to actually treat it. Mm. And sometimes I find that dialogue work doesn't actually address issues. So I found a way of helping churches to identify and take ownership of its own legacies and work them through. So is there a typical way that um, we can recognize a wounded church? Like, if I'm in a wounded church, do I know it automatically? That's a good question. I think there is a, a high level of dysfunctionality that becomes almost a repeating pattern in the life of that church, and people notice it. They get on with life as best as they can in the church. Some people park that issue and hope it will go away. Or if a new minister comes or we have a conference on healing, it will all sort it out. And I find that um, history repeats itself because nobody's listening to it. So I help them to listen to it. And I know when I've heard you speak before, uh, you've talked about sort of legacy and churches that may have a, a, a history that even current parishioners may not know about. Like I could go to a church that's where something happened 100 years ago. Yes. And how does that stuff still impact a congregation today. To take a simple biblical line, uh, you reap what you sow. And so when you have um, a life experience as a church, uh, there is a consequential outcome that comes from it. For example, I was a rector of a church which was founded on the forcible removal of 500 families from their homeland, which they'd lived in for a thousand years, and made to go and live somewhere else because of the new mining ministry opportunities. And they came because they had little opportunity to come. And back in the day, the mine owners were uh, Christian people who provided churches for their workers. But in the mindset of the people, the church became a colluding partner in this process. So they both loved and hated their church. And this produced a kind of love-hate relationship that uh, went on and on for 150 years till I was the next minister that came. And in comparing notes and accounts, I found that the the church resisted all kinds of change. It was an introverted church. Um, In my time, I wanted to remove um, a pew, just one pew at the very front, (laughs) for a very simple reason. We had two side aisles and no central aisle. So when we had a wedding, the wedding party literally was 
Um, not together. Okay. I just wanted to give them a good experience mm-hmm. of support and faith. And I explained mm-hmm. my reasons, but the reaction was so hostile. You're ruining our church. Uh, you're, you're doing things that are a travesty. And the woodwork, incidentally, was not particularly attractive. Mm. It was functional, but not attractive. But when I discovered this forcible removal story, I realized that for them, the only thing that linked them to their past was the building remaining unchanged. Okay. So to touch the building was to damage the link to the past. Mm-hmm. I thought they were the ones who were being so unspiritual and uncaring when I found out that it was me not realizing or appreciating the landmarks that they had that connected them to where they came from. And when I realized that, I had a whole different approach to how we treated the building space. So I need to ask this because um, I am married to a minister, and so we've been to several different churches And often, I think it's a common theme that some churches are resistant to change. Of course. (laughs) Anyway. So, yeah. So, if a church is resistant to change, that can be, that's not necessarily indicates that they've got a painful history. No, not at all. I'm giving you individual. They're just stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm giving you individual surgery, not universal diagnosis on on this story. Yeah. But it's worthwhile asking, you know, what's the power, the force, the conviction, the statements behind resistance to change and what what i think i hear you saying is a response of compassion actually toward the people of a church which sometimes isn't the first impulse i think i I, it's not usually the first impulse but i learned this through uh not being kind as an incumbent because i was so heaven bent um, promoting the kingdom of God that I, I forgot actually it's caring about people Interesting. that's in the heart of it because I had idealism and I think instead of you know real presence yeah. of God and it changed me hmm. uh, they helped to change me yeah. I hope I helped to change them when that moment of uh, revelation and conflict came by wounded churches I do come across congregations that are hurting because perhaps they've lost their minister well, we've had a series of ministers mm-hmm. who have not been able to stay the course. And we've I've helped them to look at why is that so? Mm. And it's a kind of incarnated attitude that they cannot seem to shake. And actually, when you think about it individually, one of the roots that we find to transformation in human experience is when we confess. And that, for me, is not beating people up in a room you know, <laughs> before they go to a public trial. The confession is taking ownership of what is mine, or if you like, what is ours. And so I teach people how to examine their stories as a church without looking for victims and perpetrators to blame. Mm. And when we look at what was, if you like, done in the church, but what we have carried as a consequence, I said, that bit is yours. Like, for example, I had a father who was never present, Mm -hmm. and I used to, I think, rather too much enjoy going around and teaching and saying, oh, the problems I had, if only I had Mm -hmm. a better father, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have this or that. And God had to challenge me and say, yes, your father wasn't there, but you did choose how to respond to that. That bit's yours. So I help churches to discover which bit is yours, because if it's yours, you can do something about it. And so if you have this resignation in the life of a church that nothing good is going to happen here, uh, that this is our lot, 
I find this specifically true in daughter churches that were founded by the richer churches for the new workers coming in. And they were given churches to worship in, but they were not really welcome in the major older church okay. where the more established families mm -hmm. were. So founding churches on rejection in my book is not a good idea mm. because people inherit that. And it, you, know, you know what it's like when you have children um, who feel rejected? Uh, there are two responses they make. Uh, there's their own response of defiance and not having anything to do with you. So daughter churches assume a different mm. spirituality to mother churches, as if it's a way of telling what they think of them. Or they have their response is one of excess. You know, if the mother church is Catholic, they're going to become super-duper Catholic. <laughs> but both responses is a bid for saying we, we are a legitimate church just as much as you. So they're already struggling with identity. And that must be uh, even more so, I'm guessing, with a church split where the leaving was wow. really painful and divisive. Well, who is the real church? Yeah. The ones who remain in the original church will say, our roots go back a thousand years, a hundred years, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I must confess and apologize. I'm speaking to you from a UK perspective. <laughs> That's quite all right. And I, <laughs> I, I'm not being demeaning either, but it's, it's, I know more about yeah. my, my scene. But you have the, the original church, which has been around longer mm -hmm. than the break-off church. Yeah. And so their legitimacy is seen to be, we are the ones who have always been here. We've been true to the space, to the place, mm -hmm. and the long succession of ministers. The breakaway group would say, well, we're true to the gospel, the word of God, the purity of the word, and our identity is in the faithful gospel peace that we're taking. I'm not necessarily criticizing the content statements, mm -hmm. but the attitude that goes with that. Because the breakaway group often sadly mixes their bid for purity um, with a condemnation of those who remain. Yeah. And there's little chance of relationship. And so there's always an element in the breakaway group of fighting to convince themselves we are a legit church. Interesting. And the ones that have lost the people. Uh, go into a kind of voluntary amnesia you know, because they're hurting. They've lost half their family. Mm. But let's not talk about that. Okay. Let's just carry on. And so they kind of have a life that goes on, but it, it's it's full of trying to forget. Mm. And it characterizes the way that church is. So you are really, in your work, leading people into pain in a way. <laughs> For a time, so that they can come out the other side. Yeah, I, I have found no surgery painless. Yeah. Really. Yeah. But, but no no surgery than the, the sickness or the issue or the tumor, the cancer that's in our hearts mm -hmm. is never addressed. And then we sanctify it, mm -hmm. deify it, yeah. or deny it being slightly alliterative here. Yeah. Uh, and so I see part of my work is when churches call me in and say, we just don't seem to be growing. Or we've we've had this history of divisions, etc. Or something really bad happened, and we've sorted it, but we don't seem to be growing. What is it? Yeah. Uh, and I come along. I don't come preloaded. I don't come saying, "Well, I know what your problem is, mm. and I'm going to preach and teach till you agree with my insight." I do small group work, mm. and I set certain questions of observation uh, where they themselves identify. Uh, the major issues shaping and formating the church today. Okay. Mm -hmm. I do set a criteria, by the way, of looking for the good, mm -hmm. 
I'm not one of these obsessive evangelicals who's only happy if we can find bad news. Yeah. But looking for what is to celebrate, because that tells us God is still here. Mm -hmm. And that actually helps us mm -hmm. to face the disturbing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that not everything is a disaster. C correct. Okay. Yeah. And it's not flattery. It's affirmation. It's mm. celebrating that even though we're in a mess, you know, yeah. God's still pleased to be with us. Mm. That's so therapeutically beneficial for anybody. That empowers us to really say, but we've also got this stuff. Yeah. And we've never taken ownership of it and said that, um, you know, we are a church where we have failed to lead our people. What we've been doing is saying, We've had a rotten priest. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it's but, but their we did fault. It, and it's, it's their <laughs> fault. But we did invite that person. Yeah. Uh, and maybe we didn't enable that person, or, or whatever it is. But actually, we were part of the process of appointment, whatever we want to say. Mm -hmm. And so I have to take ownership, or if you like, to divide the word that shouldn't be divided. We have to recognize that we have responsibility. Okay. Oh, to that's take, good. You know, yeah. to take ownership of it, but not powerless. Yeah. So in this small group work, they usually come up with a list, mm -hmm. which I sometimes, I don't change it and use my words so much, but I just summarize and say, out of all the things we've been saying here today, let me just remind you of the, the ones that kept coming up. Yeah. The majority issues um, celebrate uh, yeah. and to, to wish we could heal or change our mm -hmm. response to. And I can show you a way of starting that journey. Yeah, and and we do. We take mm. ownership without accusation, mm. and uh, and I think God likes it, mm. even when it's messy. I've been in some pretty messy times. Uh, one church, for example, I offer different programs. Sorry to be confusing. No, no, it's up, not at all. But I offer different programs depending on what they their need is and what their requirements are. Okay. One of the packages I bring is that I have trained a team of listeners mm. um, whose training is to listen to people bring their church stories, not their personal okay. stories. So it's not about come and have a session of listening therapy for you. Mm -hmm. It's confidential listening where we're asking the same questions uh, in the group work, but privately we make notes. I write a report mm -hmm. uh, saying this is what came out of the listening sessions in one church. We listened to 325 people wow. in two weeks. Wow. Uh, I have a, quite a, a big team, and yeah. uh, it works really well. Uh, now, without betraying confidences, and this is in the public domain, the actual mm. written report I produced uh, was put on the church's curricula vitae mm. when they went looking for their next vicar, and they wow. had to read it. Wow, good for them. Which I, I was so impressed by that. Yeah. Because it, it's a pretty naked story of what wow. had happened of abuse hmm. uh, in the life of that church and, and actually rather bad control techniques from an incumbent. Okay. Uh, the incumbent was still in position hmm. uh, when I was doing this process. It was the incumbent who invited me to do it. Wow. But I did discover that the incumbent, because he had read one of my books, thought I would come in and tell the church what its problem was. Okay. Uh, which would agree with what he thought. Right. Not realizing it sounds like he was a big part of it, he or she. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I had to remind him that okay. I don't come preloaded. We yeah. work with what comes out of the discussions, mm -hmm. uh, whether we like it or not. It's what's on their hearts that matters, not what's on my so-called perception, because that then is it, it doesn't work to impose. It's okay. like a bad therapist yeah. saying, "Oh, you might think that um, 
you know, you've, you've got bipolar, but I know it's to do with the fact that you've got a generational family tree problem to do with bad dads. Okay. And I'm, yeah. I'm bending you out of shape yeah. when I impose my therapeutic mm. insights, no matter what degrees I have. So I, I would say to the incumbent, well, work with what comes. Yeah. With the shocks and surprises, but in this principle where, oh, okay. But he kept coming around to ask me, what's coming out of the discussions? Or the confidential individual discussions, I wouldn't tell him. Mm-hmm. I said, you will be the first to get the report. Yeah. Uh, and you'll have a chance to <clears throat> suggest changes in matters of accuracy. Mm-hmm. If I've got my facts wrong, I don't mm-hmm. want people not listening because they want to tell me it wasn't 47, it was 12. <laughs> right. Because you know, people love an excuse not to listen. Yeah. Because yeah. we're all like this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I did eventually send him and the bishop who authorized my work. I I never work without a written authorization from a bishop or equivalent. Mm -hmm. And when it became plain that the style of management of the church was killing the church, he said, you cannot make this go public. Mm. People mustn't know this. And I said, they already do, because they are the ones telling us. Mm. Uh, We're just putting out and being transparent with it. He resigned. Yeah. Um, there was about 14 people who were in an uproar that he had resigned because his preaching was rather good, and they'd rather have his preaching and turned a blind eye to the other stuff. Okay. <clears throat> uh, so two bishops had to came to the closing day, uh, one of whom is now my line manager. And they both came to this day, and there was a lot of emotion around, and they said, um, we would like to respond to the report that's been written. And together they knelt down in front of this congregation and said, we should have been more caring, Mm. more hands-on about listening to what you were looking for in an incumbent. To be frank, this is the biggest church in the diocese. Its parish share is the largest. It's almost a million pounds. Mm. And so we didn't want that punctured. Interesting. We didn't want the flow stopping. Confession all around. Yeah. And the bishops just said... we're not saying that your incumbent is a bad man by no means, because and you've not done that in your report. Mm. But I think we would have found out that perhaps he was not the right person wow. for you and you for him. He's actually yeah. found a much better post wow. and is flourishing. That's I'm so very good. happy to say. Yeah. So, you know, we, we had lots of different responses uh, in the individual sessions without going into too much detail with you. Um, I think it was 11 clergy had left during his mm. time, all of them broken. Yeah. I listened to all 11. And all of them, and these are men of some ability, all men, by the way, uh, all of them breaking down and crying. Some had left five years ago, and they were still carrying what the damaged legacy. Some yeah. are not in ministry anymore, but they were invited to take part in the okay. process. Wow. So it, and that took two years, by the way. Yeah, so it's not fast. I hear t- two words, yep. listening and flourish. So I'm wondering if you could help us understand what good listening is in the context of a church. Certainly. Um, this is where I could whack eloquent and you won't like me. <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead. I'm listening. I'm, I'm also bearing in mind you, you, you've got things later. But thank you for asking that question because I'm passionate about listening. Let me give you a good quote from Dame Cicely Saunders, the founder mm. of the hospice movement, who yes. I work with in training her staff in listening skills at St. Christopher's Hospice in London. Uh, She said one day, I have a simple truth. People will say more in a climate of listening. Mm. 
And so what listening is, is not just being a blotting paper presence to somebody else saying whatever they want, that's the end of the day. Uh, listening is a facilitation space in which we help people to explore, understand, locate, and take response action for the material that concerns them. We work long and hard, and we're not unique in the field of listening, even though we were called Christian listeners. Mm. And by that, we meant Christ, the listener, resourced us to be in the place of listening for somebody else. That's the kind of philosophy okay. behind it, if you yeah. Sure. And we we wanted to make a statement that um, listening was at the at the heart of God. Hmm. I mean, we call it prayer, but if you're not listening, it's a waste of time. Hmm. So God listens twenty four seven. One of the very few things God does twenty four seven is listen and love. Hmm. Yeah. If you think about it. He doesn't heal every everybody, yeah. but he listens every time hmm. and loves because he is love. Anyway. Oh, no, I love point. that. It's very simple, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I have not, not thought of that. Yeah, and I love to teach on the listening Christ and give examples from the Gospels uh, that demonstrate you know, his particular full present listening. So we listen to people, and we have two significant questions we ask, bearing in mind the time frame. And the first question is, out of all the things you've told us, what for you is the most important okay. today? Mm-hmm. So we narrow the focus, yeah. or if you like, sharpen the focus. When you do that, the energy uh, increases. It's like the flow of a river. Mm. You know, when you narrow it down, okay. it's yep. faster, yeah. and you're and you're more proximate and closer to what really is the heart of the matter for the person. Mm-hmm. The other stuff we can come back to another day, and we explore that, and then at an appropriate time we'd say, okay. What action do you want to take with this? Yeah. Now that we've explored it, what what for you is good action? And it might be, I don't know, or nothing, I suppose, or this. And then we come to prayer and say, okay, prayer is not about uh, giving you the go. Prayer is about, Lord, give so-and-so wisdom to do their action well. Yeah, okay. You know, it's, it's like you have some Christians in counseling ministry who says, who... Who needs all this learning process? And all you need is the Holy Spirit. Let's just go with the Holy yeah, Spirit. Yeah. The Holy Spirit will sort them out. And, and I'm thinking, well, occasionally that is true. But actually no work has been done mm-hmm. by the individual. No taking ownership of the process. Yeah. You know, it's like someone stuck a cassette of change in their back. But that's for dolls and dummies. Okay. You know, people are real people. Yeah. And you have better ownership when you've done the work with the assistance of God. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So listening is that kind of empowering piece uh, mm. of working with the person's agenda. It communicates respect. Yeah. It communicates honor and support. You have to teach your team how to be um, true to their own integrity, theologically and ethically and morally. But whereas not passing that on in this listening process, because you're not there as their witness, mm-hmm. but you're there if you like, as their resource to explore their story in such ways. Uh, when I ran a counseling center years ago, a mother, rather uh, p- pushy mother, phoned me up and said, I've got this awkward teenage child of mine who's got into all kinds of messes. And, uh, and now um, he's telling me he's a Satanist. Mm. And I'd like you to have a session with him. I said, how old is your son? 17. I said, I will have a session with him, providing he asks for it. Mm. And he did. Okay. 
Uh, I think he did it because his mom said, I'll lay off. Yeah. You <laughs> Stop your mother. <laughs> so he, he came. And uh, this opening line was, I suppose you're going to tell me I'm wrong. And uh, this is not Christian, because he was raised in a Christian mm -hmm. home. And I said, what do you want to talk about? I said, I have my own belief system. Of course I do. But you're not here to hear my mm -hmm. belief system, are you? No, you're here because you have something to say. Mm. So, so don't waste your time. Yeah. What have you got to say? Okay. And for a, for a while, he, he still prodded and tested me. Yeah. You sure you don't mind? I, <laughs> this is your time, your space. It's confidential. I know it's a Christian thing, and it takes courage for you to come here. Come on, don't waste your time. And he just got into how his mum didn't understand him, and this was all an act of defiance. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Okay, okay. Now, in the light of this, what's the most important thing you've told me? Do you think today mm. for you? Then my neck for you. What's the most important thing? And he went silent. He said, "My mum's never kissed me." Oh, hmm. that is. Uh, he never mentioned it up yeah. to this point. He said, "I don't know why I said that." I said, "Because it's the most important thing for you." Maybe what you've said was dancing around it, feeding all the things you told me. I don't know. But I reflect it back. So for you, the most important thing is your mother's never kissed you. And he yeah. just wept. Oh, boy. He just, you know, and I let him cry for a bit. And then I said, can I ask you something else? I said, if you feel you're up to it. He said, yeah, yeah. And I said, now we know this. What would you like to do about it, if there's anything at all? And he said, that is the bit that I'm frightened of. Mm. Do I tell my mum or don't I? Mm. And, we, and we did a little piece on this, yeah. uh, really. And he decided that um, he would go home uh, and tell his mother that Satanism was a front. Okay. Uh, that he was just being defiant uh, because he was angry, because there was something missing mm -hmm. in his life. Yeah. And to tell us straight, the mother found me up so angry. Hmm. What's this idea of putting these ideas in my oh, son's I head? wasn't expecting you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Were you expecting us to the end? <laughs> yeah, I thought she would uh, be grateful. And oh, there was a good end, maybe. but she was very angry. <laughs> okay. You know, because she's the parent, so she's infallible. He's the kid. Huh. He's a mess. Yeah. I said, well, do you want to come and talk about your responses? Bring your son if you want. Hmm. We can look at this for actress. So she did. Mm -hmm. And she's very strong person of great ability by sure, the way sure. um, but but they both came and he told her mom, mom you're not listening mm, interesting mom, you, you're a great speaker but if, if to give on for god's sake you'd listen yeah yeah and, and he said watch my lips i miss your kiss mm. oh boy and she was but i was never kissed mm. oh. so it, then it became her session yeah and he saw her go through this stuff. I, wow. I, I kept looking at him. And I, I asked him afterwards what was going on, and he said, I saw my mum undress herself mm. from, if you like, being the strong case, because my dad ran off with the other one, being a strong, loving God, preaching the word woman. I saw her undress the mask, mm. and I saw a girl who had yeah. been abandoned, yeah. and I realized she is like me. Oh, wow. And that at the heart of this experience was listening yeah. and being vulnerable. No, no amount of, yeah. of telling him problems, philosophizing, all of that stuff. Because listening is empowering the other person 
to discover. Yeah, I love that. And the, that question about, well, first of all, you said that listening is not being blotting paper. So you're not just passively no, absorbing. No, no, not passively bystanding. Yeah. Neither are you sitting there waiting for a moment to jump in and point out <laughs> inconsistency. Ah, ah, right. The Lord has showed me. You yeah. said this, but okay. it's, it's not about that. It's that. There's all kinds of listening. Yes. But the, the listening I go for, without judging other styles of listening, is it's empowering people to the place of discovery mm. and maybe enabling them to work well, or yeah. as best we can, okay. with what we found out. And the question, again, was what is the most important thing yes. you have shared yeah. or something like that? Translate that to a church. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know this a little from our, if you were there Saturday, but they did small group work. They all came out and reported, the, this is what our group came up with. Yeah. Some, I felt, were better presented than others, but that's life. Sure. But I'm making notes all the time. Yeah. And then I summarize, out of all the things, uh, this church, this is what you celebrate, whatever. And I make my list. Mm -hmm. and, and they're sitting there, because you, you don't know what I'm doing to you, in a sense. Yeah. But when I'm, I'm actually reflecting back mm -hmm. what you've been telling me. Yeah which is part of what we do. Yeah. So if a person is sh like this kid was sharing and he was saying, you know, I'm so angry, you know, I, I wouldn't immediately jump in, but I'd say, so I, you know, you tell me you're angry. I'm picking up his words and I'll say, you're angry? Mm, right, right, you yeah. Know, which implies judgment yeah. and you shouldn't and the hardening of the arteries and all that mm, stuff. Mm -hmm. But w without prejudice and you're angry and you did this and that, and it validates them. Okay. Because yeah. there are times when, you know, it's okay to be angry yeah. because it's a legitimate action response to something that I find painful. Yeah. So when you reflect back to churches, mm. um, seven times you have mentioned in, from your group work the pain and the hurt and the mourning of leaving the Anglican Church of Canada. Mm -hmm. And I watch people as I do this and they're going, Interesting. In, in other words, it's like they're seeing what they've said in greater light. Not because yeah. I'm adding anything. Sure, yeah. But the one thing you don't do when you talk is listen to yourself. Mm. So let me do it for you. Okay. I'll help you listen to yeah. yourself. Yeah. And it goes in deeper. Mm. And some people say this to me. They say, you know, when you report it back, I had no idea how strong I was. Yeah. But you're right. I said, I'm not giving a value to I'm just giving you back what you've already told Yeah, you, you said this. It's your and stuff. I heard that, yeah. yeah. My uh, experience in church world is that I think people don't feel listened to generally. And I, I say that because even as a minister's wife, I think a role I have seen I have to play over the years has uh, been of listener. Yes. And I think people, and it, to me, it also reflects that in people's lives in general, they probably don't have the chance to share and be listened to truly. So, quite agree. Um, so then listening becomes a big piece in this reconciliation journey. Then. I, I would say it's one of the, the foundational blocks of it. Okay. Because in, in my modeling it for real, I'm hoping they'll pick it up for real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they okay. will pick it up for real. Yeah. And when we move on to do what I call the confessional piece, when yeah. I bring them all together, yeah. physically even, yeah. as much as we can get it comfortably so, um, it's another way of listening. Yeah. Because as a facilitator, uh, 
I want to put into practice the very thing you've just said, Karen, mm -hmm. about you meet a lot of people who aren't listened to. So to just state it the other way around, their voice has not been heard. Yes, yes. Incidentally, okay. that yeah. statement came up many times in the sharing mm. from the group work yeah. that we've just been sharing this weekend. They didn't feel they were given a voice. They okay. were not heard. Yeah, so it's so important. We are not listened to. Yeah. So when I'm facilitating the actual praying, confessing side, <laughs> invariably I get to a place where I'm saying, new voices mm -hmm. because there'll be some people who, are, who very easily would do two or three prayers and, and i'm not being prejudicial to them but i want to encourage people who have got equally something to say yeah. who have not yet been heard yeah but because their experience is either i'm a shy person and don't have your confidence right. or i have to scream to get heard yeah i find one of my roles as a facilitator is almost to say no to the people who are calling me to say, I want to do it's the third go at it. Right. You know, and I'm just saying, yeah. new voices. Yes. Because I don't mind them feeling yeah. whatever they feel. Yeah. It goes with the turf. Okay. With this, with being a, um, a facilitator yes. of, such pro of any process like this. And those people usually have gold. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's just... And everybody else benefits from their mm. voice. They know they've been heard yeah, yeah. by the response package Wonderful. that they get, you see. Yeah. So listening is, is very foundational mm. to it all. The flourishing piece, mm. which was the, the second word that you mentioned, yeah. I pay particular focus to when we've worked through the material that we've wanted to confess, i.e. by celebration uh, or repentance, etc., and wanting to help the church to to use an old Anglican expression from the liturgy, to walk in newness of life, mm. which is what all confessions about. Uh, usually on a Sunday morning, I do a little bit of teaching on the ministry of blessing. Um, and then I say to people, that, uh, it's my conviction that we've, we, are, we are all encouraged in Scripture for when the moment's right to be the person who blesses. Mm. There's all different kinds of ways of blessing, I know. But I'd like to teach you just one form of blessing which is you know the ones which is the words that come out of your mouth with focused intent hmm. not flattery not hope not may this happen or which is a form of prayer but a pronouncement yeah and the very thing that suffers in a wounded church is its ministry life hmm. um is unfulfilled on hold in some places okay. struggling in others and we want to bless the ministries. Mm. And I'm not just talking about the ordained ministers. Yeah. I'm talking about vestry members, administrators, the people who clean the building, mm. the children's workers, um, whatever is part of the breathing life of this church. Yeah. Uh, I want to celebrate it all mm. because the level of recognition is usually low. Yeah. And what I've heard you say, what is not celebrated shrinks, shrinks. through lack of affirmation. Yeah. It's the truth. Yeah. So just a simple truth of life for individuals as well as groups. Mm -hmm. um, it's very rare, you see, for ministers to feel celebrated. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to. Yeah, I'd you, like you to talk about that. You would. Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> on behalf of ministers everywhere. <laughs> well, and, and I've been one for forty years in one way or another myself. I'm not talking about flattery. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about farewell speeches. Yes. Of saying thanks for blah, 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 blah. yeah, whether it's meant or not. Um, it's just. I often say, when did you last pray with your minister, mm -hmm. as opposed to for them? Okay. In the 
public prayers of the church, which is good. I, I'm not saying they're, they're worthless. But uh, I think praying with our ministers, uh, the reason sometimes we don't is we think we think they'll resent it mm. or are beyond it mm. or would think it's an intrusion. They're okay. busy enough, God bless them, <laughs> or, or, or whatever, yeah. Uh, yeah. which only reveals the lack of relationship dynamic okay. that we've actually got. We may like them and think they're brilliant, uh, but actually we think, well, I'm sure they've got their coterie of friends who they go to and right. share, and, and I hope they have at least that. Mm -hmm. But in terms of how we live as the Christ family, we're actually a very dysfunctional family at very normal levels. Mm. And I got to a place in my ministry where I thought, if I asked somebody, would you, would somebody please lead a prayer uh, in you know, thanking uh, God for our minister? I think we're in for a, a silent time. Interesting. So I thought, I'm going to actually give people an invitation to get up out of their seats, and let's do it in a way that's hopefully not too offensive. Mm -hmm. I don't ask permission of the ministers, do you mind, we're going to do this, mm -hmm. uh, etc. I think there's a big difference between being sensitive and polite and having avoidance therapy. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I think there comes a time, the very things we proclaim as leaders, we have to be prepared to receive. Oh, that's a toughie for some <laughs> people. <laughs> and I know we're all different characters. And some would want to die and slip through the floorboards. Right. But I've done this with archbishops who have said to me, do you know, I have never, ever in my whole life as a, as a priest uh, received anything close to that kind of praying, wow. ever. And I said, well, no wonder you're a sour-faced so-and-so. And I'm just joking. <laughs> no, I, I see what you're saying, though. Like, I mean, there is an isolation that's kind of built in yes. that kind of goes with the territory. But then when you add on to it people being intimidated or afraid or thinking that you don't need that or like it just it adds to it i think you know in, in scripture and in liturgy etc we use all the language of being a family right with very little proof of it okay yeah in a way and yeah. you, you go into a minister's home and you find this delightful man who cuddles his children and <laughs> yes. rolls over on the floor with a dog and likes watching action movies yeah and stuff but the guy in the building is right. this efficient likable but distant guy yes yeah. And I think in the long run, we're all boys and girls, mm -hmm. children of the living God, mm -hmm. with our strengths and weaknesses. And I know I thrive, not get cocky and big-headed, but uh, it's oxygen to my bloodstream to be celebrated, not for my achievements necessarily, like, like Jesus in his baptism. Hadn't done a piece of work yet. Nobody knew who he was. There was no neon sign above his head saying he doesn't need this, he's doing this as a vicarious representative, all of that stuff. And the father splits the skies and says, this is my lovely boy. Yeah, I love I, love, I just love that. Maybe I'm overplaying it, but I, I remember lecturing on this, on the, um, the humanity and deity of Christ to Oxford theologians years ago. I can use the jargon now and again. And I said, can we just ask a, a simple question, maybe from Lectio Divina perspective? Well, put yourself there and see it happening. Mm. And if you can, mm. look on the face of Christ when he hears his father say, yeah. now what do you see? Mm. Now, silence. How do you think he felt, I said, trying to make it easier then? <laughs> silence. And there was this female deacon, this was in the days before, uh, sorry, deaconess, before, you know, the priesting of women at long last was recognized. 
And she just said, I think he felt bloody marvellous. <laughs> you know, and I'm not endorsing her language necessarily oh. uh, in public. But I said, I'm with you. Because yeah. if Jesus is not fully human, then it's, he's got a fake humanity. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. You know, I said, I think a lot of us believe he's got a fake humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think his deity made him experience life more. Mm-hmm. You know, because we're born in denial sometimes. Yeah. But he lived it to the bottom of the glass, mm-hmm. as it were. And I think it's, he has needs, and we mustn't confuse needs with a problem. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. When our needs are not met, that's the problem. Okay. Yeah, the and needs we call, themselves. And we call not. them needy people. Yeah, yeah. You know, but needs are legitimate aspects. Mm-hmm. Once properly met, bring us to the pathway of going, of becoming the full-blown version of myself. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, that's how I see it. So. All this for me is, we're, we're just doing the Father with the Son in the Jordan. When I say, can we just honor our leaders? Yeah. Can we just bless them? I know um, I'm going to bring us to a close, but before I ask you to do the last thing I'm going to ask you to do, how do people find out more about your work? What website should they visit? Or I, I haven't set up a particular okay. website, but if you go on YouTube yeah. and just put Russ Parker okay. in, I have a number of conferences I've done for dioceses in the UK on this subject, and the quality is quite good. I don't mean me; I mean the actual sound <laughs> and visual. Although I'm sure you're <laughs> fine as was, well. I was <laughs> hoping you'd pick that up. But uh, no, I, 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 I'm funnily hesitant okay. about wanting to do that because yeah. I'm busy enough. Sure. And I am setting up this resource. If anyone's interested in joining the team, perfect. Um, uh, I'm fully set up in the UK. I'm working in three. <clears throat> states in America at the moment. Yeah. This is my first time in Canada teaching this particular mm. material, although I've been here a number of times. And I'm looking for people who want to be trained to facilitate this work. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. So they can Russ Parker on YouTube and yeah. understand what oh, you're more right. and find uh, your books as well by Googling. So um, as we mentioned, you were in Ottawa this weekend, my hometown mm-hmm. at my home church, uh, St. Peter and St. Paul's leading us in a time of reconciliation Mm -hmm. and healing. And uh, it was wonderful. And I heard you read a prayer for leaders that I would love for you to share now, uh, because I so moving and so beautiful and so to the heart of you're a lovely boy or you're a lovely girl. (laughs) So please close us out with that. Do you mind if I just say, uh, I invite congregations uh, to lay hands on the leaders who are there the conference that you were attending was for leaders, mm-hmm. so I just asked people to lay hands on each other. But we would identify the leaders okay. in the church, um, all the way down to Sunday school leaders uh, and up to church wardens, uh, the secretaries in the office, all who in right. some way lead an aspect of that church's life. And we'd lay hands upon them. And I'd say, please just listen to this prayer. And when I pray, if any part of it you think is particularly appropriate for the person you're laying hands on, give them a firm little nudge, not Mm. pushing them around, (laughs) but just a kind of firm little nudge as your nonverbal way of saying, I really want this bit for you. Beautiful. Just that. Yeah. It's very simple. So it goes like this. We lay hands on you today because we want to honor you and say thank you for the gift you are to us. We recognize that it has not always been easy for you, 
But we want to thank you for staying with us and helping us to get closer to God. We lay hands on you today because we want to say sorry for not appreciating you enough and failing to recognize your worth. Please forgive us for not supporting you properly or recognizing those times when you needed care for so easily listening to your critics when we should have celebrated you more. We lay hands on you today because we want to tell you that we are for you, that we want to go forward beside you and serve our great King together. We realize that you too have your dreams of where you want God to take us. Some have been broken, but some have stayed alive. And so we lay hands on you now to say, let the dreams of God come true for all of us. We lay hands on you today because we want your heart to be renewed and your home to be refreshed by the presence of the High King whom you serve. We honor you as the one whom God has definitely called to be one of our leaders and care of souls. We recognize that without you being here, we are not going to be truly whole. So, may the Lord of our church strengthen our partnership and take us all to the next level of seeing his kingdom come through us, his broken but blessed people. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Russ. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.